Hello, 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 and welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It is episode number 108 here on the Saturday, March the 19th. My name is Alex Reamer. How are you all doing? I hope you're doing well. You can find the Sports Kiki, of course, wherever you can find your favorite out sports podcasts. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You know the drill. Going to spend the bulk of our time this week talking about two big stories And I'm going to lead off the show with a bit of a mea culpa. That's right, a mea culpa. It doesn't happen often, so listen carefully. Last week, I talked about the Brittany Griner story. Griner was apprehended at an airport near Moscow in mid-February for allegedly having vape cartridges containing hashish oil in her luggage. Russian officials announced March 5th they had detained an American basketball player who was quickly identified as Griner. So this story was very troubling right from the get-go because Griner was detained in Russia for several weeks before we even knew about it. So that's troubling. Then we found out that the charges Griner is facing carry a maximum penalty of 10 years in prison. Also very troubling. And on top of it all, experts agree this could not have happened at a worse time given Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So last week on the show, in regards to Brittany Griner... I focus the conversation on a lot of the cultural issues here, leading with why the hell is one of the best players in the WNBA, an Olympic gold medalist, a champion, MVP, why is she playing basketball in Russia? Well, that's because WNBA players can make five to eight times more money playing overseas, even in authoritarian countries, as they can in the US. Hell, the league's reigning MVP was on Griner's team in Russia as well. So that's also troubling, to use the word of the show. And then that parlayed to another discussion point, which is, where's the public outcry about Brittany Griner? Will Leach of New York Magazine wrote a piece last week asking the question, what if Brittany Griner were Tom Brady? She would probably be home by now, right? And I followed up with some chest thumping, and I said, yeah. Where is the outrage over Brittany Griner? The U.S. government may not be able to do much right now to intervene, but we can put the pressure on. We can make this one of the biggest stories, not just in the country, but in the entire world. A star American basketball player is being held in Russia over a minor crime at worst. We can't let her be a pawn in Vladimir Putin's geopolitical game. Free Brittany as Hillary Clinton tweeted this week. Well, I'm here to tell you that I was a bit overzealous in my Brittany Griner analysis on the show. And that's because the Russian legal system may be harsh, but Vladimir Putin is even harsher. And if this becomes a political issue, and if Brittany Griner becomes a political symbol, then this is no longer a legal matter. This is a matter for Putin. And I certainly don't like your chances there. And that's why you've, I think, heard and seen a relatively muted reaction from Griner's friends, her family, her wife asked for privacy, from the WNBA, from the U.S. government. Because they don't want this to become an international story, an international crisis. Because then again, it goes out of the legal system. So let's break this down a little further. The latest with Brittany Griner is this. Her detention has been extended until May 19th 
as she awaits trial for drug charges. The New York Times reported Thursday that Kreiner is, quote, okay and permitted to meet with her legal team several times per week. Representative Colin Alred, a Democrat of Texas, said recently Griner has been denied U.S. consular access by Russian officials. But here's the thing. U.S. officials are largely powerless to help Griner, since a foreigner arrested in Russia is subject to the jurisdiction of its laws. Again, another reason why Griner's friends and family may be relatively quiet about her predicament. This is what T.J. Quinn said recently on an ESPN podcast. He's a great investigative reporter who's written about this story over the last couple weeks. He said, if it becomes political, then her life is in the hands of one man and his government, Vladimir Putin. So it's a really tough story, right? On one hand, we say, where is the outrage? Again, if Tom Brady were detained, if Kevin Durant were detained, this would be a much bigger story than it is. And the reason why it is not a bigger story is sexism, anti-LGBTQ sentiment, whatever you want to say. And we can have that conversation. But if the conversation is about what would be best for Brittany Griner and what's the best way to get her home, it's not to pound your chest. Because again, that elevates this into a political story, which she doesn't want to happen. So the question is, if Brittany Griner stays in Russia and undergoes the legal process there, can she get a fair shake? Can she get a fair shake? And the answer there is complicated as well. I spoke to a Russian legal expert this week, Jeffrey Kahn, who's a law professor at Southern Methodist University. I wrote the story at Outsports as well. And he says that Russia's status as a pariah state does not necessarily mean Griner is walking into a kangaroo court. He told me in terms of the rules, if followed, yes, it is possible to get a fair trial in Russia, but these rules are enforced by, they're interpreted by, they're applied by human beings. And there's the rub. So how does the Russian criminal justice system even work? Well, as Khan explained to me, it used to be a classic example of the inquisitorial system, meaning the court is actively involved in investigating the facts of the case. Under this model, The state usually names a special prosecutor, the investigator, to gather all of the evidence. That evidence is then put into a case file, which determines what pieces of information can and cannot be referenced in court. Contrastically, here in the U.S. and other Western countries, we use an adversarial system in which both sides are allowed to tell their stories at trial. The court is an impartial referee. There have been some elements of reform brought to Russia's system since the collapse of the Soviet Union. The defense, for example, is now allowed to conduct its own investigation. But Khan told me that the case file prepared by this investigator is still really the most important point. So that's how the Russian legal system works. Now the question is, or the other question is, how about Greiner's status as a black woman, and not only that, but one of the most prominent out gay athletes in the world? We know that Russia has vast anti-LGBTQ sentiments. We know Vladimir Putin has enacted enacted a rash of anti-LGBTQ laws, further further stirring homophobic feelings in Russia. An interesting case I read about this week, last summer, the Russian government cited public opinion polling that shows widespread animosity towards LGBTQ people in a case brought forth by six nationals 
who challenged the government's refusal to provide legal recognition to same-sex couples. The case was heard in front of the European Court of Human Rights, which did rule in the point in favor. The Council of Europe on Wednesday expelled Russia from that human rights body as retribution for its war in Ukraine. So clearly the government is on the record in a human rights body citing opinion polling that shows widespread animosity towards LGBTQ people as an argument for denying LGBTQ people equal rights. So we know where the government stands. Griner will be standing in front of a singular judge. Her crime doesn't qualify for a jury trial, which given the anti-gay sentiment in Russia may actually be a good thing for her, or at least a less bad thing. I don't know if there's anything good about the situation, but a less bad thing, let's just say. So if you want to talk about how does Brittany Griner's status as an out gay woman impact her case, it really all depends on how her judge, whomever it is, feels about LGBTQ people. It really is kind of as simple as that. So <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's obviously a story that we're going to follow for many more months. I mean, she could be in prison for a decade. One of the best female basketball players in the world over a little vape pen and hashish oil. I mean, that's pretty crazy. But if you look at this case, it's multi-layered. You have the politics, you have the cultural issues, you have the legal issues, you have the facts of how the legal system actually works in Russia. You have the variable of Griner being LGBTQ. I mean, clearly, she thought the experience in Russia was tolerable enough to keep playing there and keep making money there. But then again, playing basketball as a free, wom- as a free woman is different than sitting in a jail cell awaiting trial. But the big point I do want to hammer home this week is we can pound our chests and talk about the double standard, and talk about the lack of coverage women's sports receives, and talk about what an outrage it is that Brittany Griner's detention is not dominating newscasts here in the U.S. But if you actually want to focus on the best way to help Brittany Griner, and the best way to get her home, experts say it is not to make this a huge story. Because then again... It becomes political, and the odds of her becoming a pawn in Putin's dangerous and deadly game increases. So that's an interesting case in which the conventional wisdom does not really match up with the facts on the ground. And that dovetails nicely into Leah Thomas. She's back in the news. She finished, uh, she won the 500 free at the NCAA Women's Swimming National Championships this week, besting her previous best that topped the event in the country this season. Uh, She finished second in the preliminary heats of the 200 free at the championships as well. She's going head-to-head in the final, or she's competing in the final Friday night. Thomas also earned a second All-American honor. So she's performing well at the Swimming National Championships, Obviously, bringing her story back to the front pages, and we're hearing all the usual debates, all these carnival barkers on the right, and it's so tedious, and it's so boring, and I'm so sick of it. Let me first say this. I mean, anybody on the right 
I'm talking about, you know, insert your Fox News personality here, or a guy like Clay Travis, who are bemoaning about the integrity of women's sports and how Leah Thomas, her competing, it's not fair to the other great cisgender female athletes who just want a fair shake and they can't get that because they're competing against this transgender woman who's dominating them. What about the integrity of women's sports? I mean, come on. Talk about something so disingenuous. These people don't care about women's sports at all. Do you think they've watched a minute of the WNBA? Do you think they've watched a minute of the NWSL? Do you think they've watched a minute of the Women's Professional Hockey League? Do you think they've watched a minute of women's pro basketball? College women's swimming? No, they have not. They have not seen a second of college women swimming in their life. They've not read a word about it in their life until Leah Thomas competed this year on the UPenn women's team. That's the truth. So please spare me the tears about the integrity of women's sports if you don't give a damn about women's sports. So that's number one, and it's something that I am so sick and annoyed of. And I'm also sick about just how political and partisan and reactionary this debate is. It is, and Sid Ziegler wrote it on Outsports this week. The trans athlete debate is not left or right. And, you know, it's just worth stressing again, as we have many times over the last several months, about the complexity of this story. You look at opinion polling, for example. Let's look at Gallup. Last year, 66% of respondents said trans people should be able to openly serve in the military. Yet, almost that same number, 62%, said they should play on a sports team that matches their sex at birth, not their declared gender. On the flip side, 10% of Republicans said a trans woman on a woman's team is okay to them. I think that's more Republicans and actually accept the fact that Donald Trump lost lost the last election. <laughs> I kid, maybe. Um, so those numbers tell you right there that this debate is not just black and white. And again, you can carry two thoughts in your head at once. You can say, I am pro-trans rights. I am pro-trans inclusion in sports. The bans on trans girls playing on women's sports teams that we're seeing passed in legislatures across the country by Republicans and conservative legislators and what's happening in Texas, making it child abuse for parents to seek medical care for their trans children. Those laws are repugnant. They are disgusting. They are gross. And they are worthy of the utmost and most vehement pushback. They are disgusting. I mean, I've said it many times, and I especially have learned about the trans athlete experience working at OutSports these last two plus years. I feel like I've become so much more educated about this issue. Trans athletes, by and large, they just want to play. And that's especially the case at the youth level. Playing sports is is a fundamental part of growing up and being a kid, being on a team, And the fact that so many people in this country want to deny trans people, and in particular, trans girls, the opportunity to be on a sports team in accordance with their gender identity, just like everybody else, is appalling. 
But Leah Thomas is not a 14-year-old trans girl who may be thinking about transitioning. She is, you know, playing on some local rec basketball league or high school team. She is an NCAA Division I swimmer. She's at the NCAA National Championships, and she's dominating. And yes, she's followed all the rules. She's competing just as she's allowed to compete. The NCAA's trans policy prior to this year was he had to be undergoing hormone treatments for at least one year, and Leah Thomas was, and she is still able to compete even though the NCAA has changed its trans policy, so she's not a cheater. But the question is, is it really fair for her to be competing? At what level do we say trans athletes can compete in a fair manner? I don't know the answer to that question. There's still a lot of unsettled science and unsettled debate. And I don't see what's wrong with having a bit more of an open mind about it on both sides, of course. But overall, I think the big tragedy here is Leah Thomas herself. I mean, I can't imagine how difficult her life has been up to this point or the challenges that any trans person faces. I, I, it is not an easy experience from what I glean. And that's why, again, the notion on the right that some spout that, you know, oh yeah, you know, you allow trans athletes to compete, everyone will transition just so they can win a medal. Like, yeah, not doesn't really quite work like that. So, I mean, that's a tragedy here that Leah Thomas is stuck in the middle of this ugly, ugly debate where it's she's really just a proxy. You know, it's not, again, no, they don't care about women's college swimming. She's a proxy in this overall never-ending cultural war. And that's the most depressing thing here. And what's also depressing is we've had many months of Leah Thomas being in the news, of this debate being at the forefront like it never has been before. And we're no closer to any sort of concrete discussion. We're no closer to any sort of agreement. It's just getting more vitriolic and more polarizing, which is a shame. And I want to close off on the show this week with a little NFL news. It was NFL free agency, and the Raiders have cut Carl Nassib. Now, I talk about going with the crowd and laughably lazy commentary. Anybody, anybody who's proclaiming, and I've seen some of them this week, that Carl Nassib was cut due to homophobia is just plain out wrong. Let me get out my little sporty cap for you. Nassib was going to count $9.6 million against the cap for the Raiders this year, and he was a rotational piece for them. I mean, he was a healthy scratch towards the end of last season. He did not play in their playoff game against Cincinnati. He was going to count almost $10 million against the cap as a rotational piece That's too much. So the Raiders cut him just like every other NFL team would have with that cap charge. And plus they need to clear money for Chandler Jones, an all pro pass rusher. So no, Carl Nassib was not cut due to his sexuality. Now, will he receive another chance to play? That's where we can start talking about the impact of homophobia on Nassib's NFL career. And he better receive another chance. He's a bona fide pro. But up to this point, when we're just talking about his release from the Raiders, no. Homophobia is not at play. Instead, it's about the salary cap, which I know is a lot less sexy, but it's true. 
So thank you for tuning in to episode number 108 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. As always, if you, if you have any show ideas, guest ideas, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. At AlexRumor1 is my name. That again is at AlexRumor1. So long, everybody. Talk to you next Saturday.